This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. They're not sure of why that person was in that room at this time. Tonight on Global News Hour, deadly fire. A homeless man found in a building in Vancouver's Chinatown. How long had he been living there? It was a bit surprising, but it also helps uh, Surrey make that determination on which route they should go. BC mayors react to the province's recommendation to Surrey to move forward with its own municipal police service. Now some are wondering if they can ask for the same funding assistance and then. It is the most effective way to ensure safe and effective policing in the city of Surrey and in the rest of the province. An interview with Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth and his reaction to criticism from Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin with a tragedy on Vancouver's downtown east side. A fire broke out in the back of the building of the Asian Canadian Benevolent Association on Dunleavy Street last night. And as Grace Key reports, it appears a man had sought shelter inside the building's electrical room only to perish in an accidental fire. Behind this metal door, a tragic end to a life. A homeless man was staying in this tiny electrical room, no bigger than a closet. A wooden bunk, Christmas lights, hooks to hang up his clothes, and drug paraphernalia are what remain. It's unclear just how long he'd been living here. I checked about two weeks ago and I remember the door was locked. Unless he has a kid and he's been living there for a while, but otherwise he's probably been there for like two weeks with maximum. The fire broke out at about 9.20 Saturday night at the Asian Canadian Benevolent Association for the Elderly in the downtown east side. Vancouver Fire Rescue says the blaze started from an open flame. The exact source is unclear. Flames were contained to the electrical room. Fire crews breached the door, uh, located the fire. Unfortunately, they also located a male patient at that time. Uh, they brought that patient outside and uh, worked on the patient for a while. Unfortunately, um, he succumbed to his injuries. The Benevolent Society was busy getting food ready for distribution Sunday morning for the elderly and the homeless. It could take several days before power is restored. That means they have to find a solution quickly for their refrigerated food before it spoils. Well, I'll have to talk to the, you know everyone, see what we can do, if we can get a generator, or maybe we'll have to take the food and bring it to our homes and temporarily and bring them and basically re re regroup later on. Since the city of Vancouver started removing makeshift tents on East Hastings earlier this month, the Benevolent Society says people have been coming onto the property on a daily basis, many defecating in the area. Since that day they started cleaning out, we noticed more people coming in, more people breaking in, and actually they've been uh, doing their business in there, in, in, uh, you know, inside, so we had a lot of cleanup to do. Without a plan to put the, where, you know, get them taken care of and put them somewhere. You can kick them out of there, but where are they going to go? If they don't go anywhere, they'll, they'll go into all the businesses or any residential areas that they, they can get into, any place that they can find shelter, right? It's unclear where the homeless man was living before, and there's no word yet on his identity. Grace Key, Global News. 
Now to the wildfire fight in B.C. right now. There are about 50 active wildfires burning across the province. At least 10 of them sparked within the last day. Crews with the B.C. Wildfire Service say they are focused on two wildfires of note. The dripping water fire southeast of Alexis Creek. It's considered out of control and grown to more than 200 hectares since an earlier estimate of 150 hectares. An evacuation alert has also been issued in connection to this fire. And the Lost Valley Fire east of Pressy Lake and north of Bandello Lake. It was discovered on Saturday and so far has been mapped out at about 130. 13 hectares. They are both said to be human caused. An evacuation alert has been issued to residents of 27 neighboring properties, plus the Snake Road fire that temporarily led to the closure of Highway 97C outside Merritt yesterday is now being held. What you're seeing burning right now is the dead vegetation that died over winter. Um, that's kind of been further compounded by the drought that we went into the winter with. And so once we start to see a little bit of a change in weather and hopefully get some of that spring precipitation, depending on the quantity that precipitation comes in, will really kind of determine what our later summer fire season looks like. And outside the Edmonton area, more residents are either under evacuation order or alert as multiple grass and brush fires grow west and northwest of the city. The fires have already prompted the evacuation of the hamlets of Entwistle and Evansburg, as well as a nearby resort community. The fires are spreading quickly due to strong winds and very dry fuel. A flood watch is now in effect for Lower Thompson Rivers, including Cache Creek, Chris Creek, and the Bonaparte and Deadman Rivers, while an evacuation order has been issued for a single property on the Trans-Canada Highway in Cache Creek. The village of Cache Creek is cleaning up after Cache Creek spilled its banks Saturday night. The mayor says public works put barricades up to channel the water, preventing significant damage. A log stuck in a culvert under Highway 97 also caused water backup, but has it has since been cleared out. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District says creeks and rivers are rising rapidly due to the spring freshet and warm temperatures. John Ranta says the level of water coming down Cache Creek has subsided, but the public is urged to stay away from riverbanks. We're optimistic that uh, we're past the worst of it, but we're going to have to figure a, a permanent solution for the Cache Creek situation and uh, it may be a bridge over Quartz Road or a uh, solution, a larger culvert, uh, so that we don't have to deal with this with the frequency that we have. Cache Creek had a massive flood in 2015, followed by more flooding in 2017, 2018, and 2021. The mayor says his citizens are tired of dealing with these weather events. And a fresh reminder of the ongoing avalanche danger in Western Canada. All avalanche terrain at Sunshine Village Ski Resort in Alberta remains closed today, including some of the hills following a Class 2 slide yesterday that was triggered by the warm weather. No one was caught up in the slide on Goat's Eye Mountain. Backcountry users are being warned to expect dangerous avalanche conditions as temperatures dramatically rise. This has prompted Avalanche Canada to issue a special public avalanche warning for mountainous, re mountainous regions rather across Western Canada. And for more on the condition that's contributing to wildfires, flooding and avalanches, here's meteorologist Yvonne Schall and Yvonne. More record temperatures are here. 
Yeah, we tracked it one more day today, and this is for the interior, so it's really day three, and this is just a sample of some of the numbers that we did see today. Gold and getting up to 27.3, the old record back in 1957. It was a hot one back in 1998, with Vernon getting up to 26.7, similar for Blue River and areas near Williams Lake as well, with that old record sitting closer to 24 degrees. So it was a hot one for the interior today. A bit of a reprieve, though, with the long coastal areas. We saw that for the south coast, similar for both the northern and central regions. Bit of a blip in the forecast will be for tomorrow. Ridge still remains quite strong towards the interior. We still have hot temperatures for the interior. I'll have the timeline coming up and a bit of instability could be there where you could be we could be tracking the potential and the risk for some thunderstorms more very shortly. Julie. All right, thank you, Yvonne. And starting tomorrow, seasonal lawn watering restrictions in Metro Vancouver will be in effect. Starting May 1st, under Stage 1, homes and businesses will be restricted to lawn watering one morning a week. The regional district says with increasingly variable weather patterns, the restrictions to conserve drinking water for the hot, dry months ahead. Hand watering and watering of edible plants are exempt from the regulations. The restrictions will remain in place until October 15th. Vancouver's new mayor promised to get rid of the city's controversial single-use cup by the summer, and tomorrow it will be gone. The 20 charge on disposable cups was implemented last year with the goal of reducing paper cup waste. But instead, Ken Sims' ABC Majority Council says the fee was punitive. Christian Robinson reports. As of May 1st, Vancouver businesses will no longer be required to drain an extra 25 cents from customers for disposable cups. Great. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, nice. Because I prefer like to go or coffee to go to like drinking outside. In January 2022, Vancouver became the first Canadian municipality to implement a fee for single-use cups. Businesses kept the cash and were encouraged to invest in reusable alternatives, but JJ Bean's boss says it didn't work. 25 cents is not enough of an incentive. John Neat says he's switching back to the carrot versus stick approach his coffee chain took prior to the cup fee. A set price for in-store coffee with a 25 cent discount for using JJ Bean ceramic mugs and a 50 cent discount for travel mugs. Still, some prefer a paper cup. I don't understand it. There's a 25 cent discount for a ceramic mug, but people still won't take it. In late March, council repealed the single-use cup bylaw and cup fee, saying they didn't change consumer behavior. Folks were, were really not necessarily disincentivized to actually use a single-use cup. We want to spend our time focusing in on policies that can be more effective in actually getting to the outcome, which is ultimately to reduce single-use waste. Yeah, I think you got to change people's attitude and mentality first. 25 cents is not much of a price point to influence people to do something. If they don't care about the environment, the 25 cents is not going to move the needle. And I'm not sure if you can mandate caring. Neat says it's up to individual cafes to encourage the use of reusable mugs. A JJ Bean study, he says, found 18% of people will use one if given the proper incentives. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Some residents on Vancouver Island opposing a controversial barge dismantling operation held a rally today. Concerns. Protect Bay Sound! Protect Bay Sound! 
The concerned citizens of Baines Sound organized today's demonstration, citing the shipbreaking operation near Union Bay as a threat to them and the local ecosystem. Opponents say the practice could result in substances like asbestos and heavy metals polluting the ecosystem. They say no other jurisdiction in the developed world allows the practice in an ecologically sensitive area and near residential neighborhoods like in Bain Sound. This is an issue that may seem local, but the herring spawn affects charismatic megafauna in, I mean, in the global oceans, not just BC, but all over Canada. And, you know, the, the whales and the sea wolves and the eagles, you know, and those whales go all the way down to Hawaii, I believe, where I was uh, raised. And so, you know, this is a very, it seems small, but this is a global issue. And I think it affects the future of, hopefully, of Canada's shipbreaking industry. We can do it well, or we can do it like it's being done right now in Bain Sound, which comes at a cost. The company that runs the operation, Deep Water Recovery, declined comment to Global News. Still to come on Global News Hour, where's our piece of the pie? What's that is what actually some BC mayors are saying following the province's recommendation for Surrey to move to a municipal policing model. Plus, we have a one-on-one -on -one interview with Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth about Friday's recommendation to Surrey. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. That's one of the many other questions being asked following the announcement by Solicitor General Mike Farnworth that the province would help fund the transition to the Surrey Police Service. Other BC mayors and councillors are now wondering where's the money to help their respective communities, whether the city of Surrey accepts those funds or not. Kamal Karamali reports. It was a heavily anticipated announcement. This is one of the most difficult decisions that I've had to make as Solicitor General. With an additional twist. Not only was the province recommending Surrey move forward with its municipal police service instead of returning to the RCMP, but it was also willing to give a surprise financial boost, possibly as much as $150 million over five years. Now other neighboring cities are asking the province... What about us? The number of uh, mayors and other councillors that are now calling me and saying, uh, we want the Me Too. Like, if they're throwing around money to uh, local government, uh, we would like some over here. What about other municipalities with similar infrastructure challenges that are significant to pursue housing supply increases and, and other challenges that we're all facing, from North Vancouver to transit shortfalls to all kinds of infrastructure issues where there seems to be endless money for the city of Surrey, uh, but not so much for the rest of us. Municipalities like New Westminster questioning why Surrey gets to jump the queue for police funding. We are going quite fast for a small city too. Uh, we just have as many challenges as Surrey, if not for small city and that man. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says the province is not playing favorites. We have just given uh, municipalities um, 
a billion dollars this year in direct grants that they get to determine where that money goes in terms of infrastructure in their communities. At least one neighboring municipality, though, says it supports the move to the Surrey Police Service because returning to the RCMP may mean fewer officers available for the city of Langley. For me, staying the course creates that stability so that we're assured that there are members available for Langley and other detachments. So far, Surrey's mayor has doubled down on her pledge to go against the province's recommendation and keep the RCMP. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth is joining us now to give more perspective on the Surrey policing situation. And thank you for being with us tonight, Minister Farnworth. Let's jump right in. So two days after delivering your recommendation, and it appears there's even more uncertainty. Now, why did you decide not to make a final decision to end the policing saga in Surrey? The decision that uh, was made on Friday by myself as Solicitor General is based on is made under the powers that I have under the Police Act and that requires me to to approve uh, a plan uh, that uh, would allow a transition back to Surrey. That was their request. Uh, my responsibility as Solicitor General is to look at that plan, have it examined and see if, it, if that transition plan would provide safe and effective policing. Uh, the recommendation back to me from the staff after, after complex and uh, detailed analysis is that, that that plan would not provide uh, for safe and effective policing in the transition and therefore the recommendation was to reject it, not to approve it. And that's the decision that was made. At the same time, um, was also sending, letting the Surrey of Surrey know, the city of Surrey know, that we were prepared to work with them if they wanted to move forward uh, with the transition to the Surrey Police Service by recognizing that there were additional costs that they had been concerned about and the province would sit down and work with them to make sure that they weren't being borne by the city of Surrey's residents or their businesses. Well, the RCMP say they are confident they can meet staffing needs in Surrey and to date have far more officers than the SPS currently does. So why do you feel that the SPS can staff up but the RCMP cannot? This is a, the request was to go back to the RCMP. Uh, that was the request from the city of Surrey. Um, what I'm required to receive from both the city of Surrey and the, and the RCMP is, is a plan on how they would do that. Uh, we received the information from them just prior to Christmas. Uh, subsequent to that, my ministry, the Director of Police Services, had questions uh, that they wanted to have answers to. Um, they received additional information. They have been analyzing the information provided by the City of Surrey, by the RCMP, by the Surrey Police Service. And their recommendation back, based on their analysis of the information, is that the plans as submitted to go back to, uh, transfer back to the RCMP would not be, uh, was not a plan that would ensure safe and effective policing in the city of Surrey for that transition. Okay, well, why did the province decide to throw money at one option to help Surrey taxpayers, but not the RCMP option? And why should people in the rest of B.C. have their tax dollars put toward cleaning up that policing mess created in Surrey? The situation in Surrey is unique. Uh, the city of Surrey has requested to go back to the RCMP uh, so they would be responsible for those costs. What we have recommended in terms of proceeding forward with the, uh, the Surrey Police Service is, is, is recognizing that that was not Surrey's 
preferred option, but that it is a that is the most effective way to ensure safe and effective policing in the city of Surrey and in the rest of the province. Because my responsibility is not just to the city of Surrey, but also safe and effective policing in the rest of British Columbia. Well, your director of police services in his report concludes that the plan to retain the RCMP poses a significant risk to adequate policing levels in Surrey and the entire province. Now, if that's the case, how can you allow Surrey Council to actually retain the RCMP? That's where the, the report um, makes it clear that if Surrey were to continue down the path of wanting to go to the RCMP, that there are seven uh, binding conditions that they would have to abide by, and those conditions are non-negotiable. Uh, and they include such things as not restaffing Surrey by taking resources either permanently or temporarily from other communities, for example. Uh, it would mean not prioritizing uh, RCMP resources that the province has earmarked with our uh, uh, $230 million investment to hire 277 additional officers for rural communities in British Columbia and communities under 5,000 uh, and the specialty teams. You cannot take it from those. Um, as well as ensuring that there would be an individual human resource plan for each Surrey Police Service member. Uh, so what really needs to happen is for the city of Surrey to sit down, look at all the new information that is in that report to, to, uh, to, to understand the decision and why the recommendation to proceed with the Surrey Police Service is the one that is best for the city of Surrey and its taxpayers, as well as uh, safe and effective policing, but also uh, for the province as a whole, and that's part of my responsibility. Thank you again, Minister Farnworth, for joining us tonight on Global News Hour. Thank you. To watch the full interview with Mike Farnworth, please head to our website at globalnews.ca/bc. Coming up on Global News Hour, help for farmers. We'll tell you about a new program that's giving farmers the resources to grow certain crops. And then the first boat-related call for Vernon Search and Rescue this season. Stay with us as the News Hour continues. An early morning apartment fire in Surrey damaged at least four vehicles. The blaze broke out just after midnight at a building near 137th Street and 72A Avenue. When fire crews arrived, two vehicles were engulfed before spreading to two others. The sprinkler system was activated and prevented further damage. Fortunately, there were no injuries. Residents were able to return to their units. No word yet on a cause. In Saanich, a nasty accident led to the temporary closure of the westbound lanes of McKenzie Avenue at Cary Road. A pickup truck went off the road near the interurban overpass and hit a pole and trees. Saanich police say eastbound traffic was reduced to a single lane for some time. No word on the cause of the crash or if there were any serious injuries. A new program is aiming to help B.C. farmers with more resilient crops. The perennial crop renewal program was announced this morning in Langley. It will provide as much as $15 million to help revitalize production of crops like hazelnut, grapes, apples and cherries. It will also help other industries like the wine grape industry by providing more sustainability and guaranteed tourism. We heard loud and clear from many of you in our wine sector, 
and other perennial crop sectors the need for support with removing and replanting crops that were susceptible to disease and extreme weather. For the wine grape industry, this will specifically help with replanting new and improved varieties of grapes that are best suited to the unique climate where they're grown. Members of Vernon Search and Rescue are now dealing with both winter and summer-related call-outs. Just a few weeks ago, people were still running into trouble in the snow. Weekend, a SAR team had its first boat call-out of the season. Jaden Wozni reports. Just before 6 p.m., volunteers with Vernon Search and Rescue were called to assist a family of four after their boat's engine broke down, leaving them stranded on Okanagan Lake near Adventure Bay. We approached them, got one of our members uh, to go onto their boat, check out the engine. It couldn't get fixed really quick, so uh, we, we hooked them up and uh, took their, their family onto, on board our boat and then uh, towed them back. With boating season officially underway in the Okanagan, Trevor Honigman with the Vernon Search and Rescue is reminding boaters to always be prepared before heading out on the water. It's good to get them checked over by a mechanic, make sure that they have a, a toolkit to do minor repairs, and then also be prepared to have all their safety gear checked, their life jackets, their flares, all that type of stuff. So if there is a problem, they can get help as soon as they need to. Honigman also wants to remind the public that if you are in need of a rescue, do not hesitate to call for help. The people that we rescued, they're really thankful and uh, they're really happy to hear that Search and Rescue is a, uh, is a service that is free. If there's an emergency, phone 911 and 911 will get a hold of the RCMP and or Search and Rescue. On average, VSAR responds to roughly 80 call-outs per year. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Vernon. Still to come on the news hour, closing the doors of a Burnaby bookstore, even some free books for patrons. Stay with us. An iconic Burnaby bookstore is closing its doors for good. Today was the last day of business for Brown's Books. Book lovers were busy picking out their final purchases and some books were even given away for free. Even the bookcases were up for grabs. The small shop on Hastings Street in North Burnaby has served the community for 50 years. All right, unfortunately, that is the case more and more these days. But uh, Yvonne, we're not going to shut the book on the weather just yet. <laughs> not yet. And I think people looking ahead for their Monday, I'm going to have that in just a moment. But at the top of the show, we had that record-breaking heat. For the interior, it still remains dry in the coming days. Most areas along the south coast of Metro Vancouver, though, with spotty showers. We saw it reported out of the airport right now. It's a mainly cloudy sky, and temperatures are currently sitting at 12 degrees. We'll see, we'll see a few isolated showers from most areas. The island will be included within that. That takes us in towards tomorrow morning and through the afternoon. It is going to be breezy along the water. We'll see some of those winds picking up to 30 kilometers per hour. Temperature trend, this is closer to the water. A slight dip for tomorrow and then it'll bump up once again. Some of the warmest days will be Tuesday, Wednesday. Away from the water getting up to 22 and 23 degrees. And the Thompson Okanagan will see that surge in temperatures with some of the hottest days for Wednesday, Thursday. Upper 20s and pushing closer to 30 degrees. So we continue to track those 
temperatures. And the big concern as well will be the snow melt. We're also seeing the avalanche danger rating still sitting at high. So a reminder for those not to travel into the backcountry. High stream flow advisory, all areas in yellow and the flood watch for the Nazco as well as the lower Thompson. Those areas may exceed bankful and we'll continue to watch that in the coming days. Wanted to show you the future cast and put this into play for the afternoon tomorrow. There's a bit of instability that's going to pop up. The concern with it, we could see the slight risk of a thunderstorm and then it'll dissipate. It looks like it'll still remain quite hot and dry in the coming days. Coastal areas up to 13 degrees for Prince Rupert. There's those isolated showers across the central and southern interior. So a little bit of instability, but most areas should be just seeing a few showers in the mix. Still hot though. Castle Garb to 27 degrees. Whistler will see a fair bit of cloud cover on the mix. Breezy though. Closer to the water, those winds picking up to 30 kilometers per hour. Victoria with highs up to 14. Lower mainland away from the water up to 18 degrees and we'll hang on to that cloud cover extending into the Fraser Valley. Five day forecast. It's really a blip in the forecast for tomorrow. Winds up to 30 kilometers per hour. If left in that 30% chance of a shower, it'll be a touch cooler, especially in comparison to the record heat that we had yesterday. Tuesday, Wednesday so far, if you're making plans for the week, those look to be the warmest with the sunshine on Wednesday away from the water up to 23. Julie. All right, thank you, Yvonne. Well, let's go back to this story. An iconic Burnaby bookstore is closing its doors for good. Today was the last day of business for Brooks, Brown's Books, rather. Book lovers were busy picking out their final purchases, and here's what some patrons had to say. A lot of bookstores are going away. And uh, one of the things I'm heartened about is that there's so many people in here that still read books. In this day and age, they still read books. It's really what we need. I mean, we need, we need small businesses, and we need community, and we need reading. Oh, yes, we all need reading. Well, ironically, the closure comes just one day after National Independent Bookstore Day. Barry joins us now, and what you got coming up? Well, we're going to talk a bit of soccer. The Whitecaps haven't uh, been losing much, but they haven't been winning much either. Another draw last night, so we'll take a look back and uh, hear from Vanny. We're going to have a story on Levante Johnson. Maybe he is uh, one of these future Whitecaps who could help the scoring drought. He's doing a really good job with their uh, second team right now, so we'll have a story on that coming up. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Well, the need for housing in the Lower Mainland also means the end of an era for many people in the community. Still to come on the News Hour, we'll tell you about the future demolition of a beloved bowling alley when we come back. Decades, countless families and friends have celebrated strikes or commiserated over their gutter balls at Revs in Burnaby. But the days of the city's last remaining bowling alley are numbered now that the land has been sold for redevelopment. Travis Prasad reports. For 61 years, people young and old have been trying to hit strikes at this Burnaby bowling alley. But now it's all coming to an end. And being here since day one, it's really sad. Margaret Lee started playing here in 1963 as a teenager in the Chinese Bowling League. There was a lot of people here. It was so, it was so crowded, it was very hard to, uh, to get in. You know, if we didn't have a special time for us to come to bowl in our league, you'd be waiting, or else there'd be a waiting list. Much like the pins in these 48 lanes, the building itself will soon be knocked down. I bowled here, met so many friends, and then I ended up working here for the last uh, 25 years. It brings passionate bowler and Rev's vice president, Rob Taylor, no joy to close the doors. But he says the building can't be spared. 
Behind the scenes, the largest 10-pin bowling alley in Western Canada has been losing money for years because of unaffordable property taxes. It's an astronomical amount. It's, uh, it's based on uh, highest and best use. So we're, uh, they're applying uh, residential, tower and commercial property taxes to us, which we, we just unfortunately can't bear. The bowling alley sits along Lowheat Highway just east of the quickly evolving Brentwood Town Centre, right beside a SkyTrain station and high-rises. Celtic Canada Development bought the four-acre property with plans to build up to three residential towers. There will also be commercial space, and Celtic isn't ruling out another bowling alley, telling Global News in a statement, if financially feasible and mutually beneficial in the future, Celtic will gladly consider partnering with Revs or another bowling operator when we begin programming the proposed commercial space. It's tough because uh, we need housing, but we also need recreational activities for people, and other than rec centres, um, you know, what else, what is being developed? Revs will stay open for at least one more year as the new owners go through the permitting process, so there's still some time to throw one last ball down memory lane. When this is gone, we're all lost. All of the whole community is going to lose a good place where we can gather. For so many people to come here and have a great time and uh, create memories, and we love being part of, of that. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, coming up on Global News Hour, one to watch how Canadian forward Levante Johnson is showing he's a standout amongst his peers on the Whitecaps FC2 squad. Sports is up next. Head to the North Okanagan for Vernon Comic Con. On May 6th, join Vernon's own gathering of collectors and fans of all things comics, gaming, sci-fi, fantasy, literature, cosplay, and more sure to dress in character and be part of this all-ages event. Head to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre and rediscover Cats, the beloved musical with breathtaking music, featuring new sound design, direction, and choreography for a new generation. BroadwayAcrossCanada.ca for info. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by MarBC. Support a sustainable BC and recycle your end-of-life, large appliances, and help keep BC green. Barry is here with sports, and you're mm -hmm. going to start with the Whitecaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were just talking about our favorite moments from the Broadway musical Cats, but <laughs> yes. uh, we can't get into that now. We're no. going to talk about our favorite moments from last night's uh, Whitecaps game. Thanks, Julie. Uh, the Whitecaps haven't lost an MLS game in over a month, but in the same breath, they've only won two of the seven matches since then. They've got five draws as well. Last night, another draw, nil-nil, with visiting... Vancouver has not allowed an MLS goal in 410 minutes. That's over four and a half games worth, but they've but they've come up dry well, scoring just 11 goals in their nine games this year. But it's not for a lack of chances. Uh, we need to be better in the final third. Uh, like not even in the final third, because we've been good in the final third. We put the ball in front of the goalkeeper. We need to be better uh, mm, uh, capitalizing the chances, and that has been a little bit of the music this season. But uh, it's better this music than the music of uh, not even So uh, we need to focus maybe on the last accord of the music and, uh, and, and going from there. But, you know, performance-wise, I'm, I'm, I think I'm satisfied. I'm happy. 
The Whitecaps have shown over the years, much to the dismay of their fan base, not to go get a high-priced goal scorer. They have had success from within developing their own players, and one to look for in the future is Canadian Levante Johnson. The 24-year-old from Brampton, Ontario, was the Caps' first-round pick this past winter and has already made his mark with the Caps' second team, WFC2. Levante Johnson is already starting to stand out amongst his peers on the Whitecaps FC2 squad. He scored three goals in his first four games, displaying the poise that is needed to put the ball in the back of the net at this level. He's gotten to some moments in the round goal and he's able to uh, execute. You know, he's able to take the extra touch when needed. He's able to pick the right spot when it comes to shooting on goal and show that little bit of composure you want to see in an attacking player. The Whitecaps picked Johnson in the first round, 29th overall in this year's MLS Super Draft. Johnson was a key player for Syracuse University, scoring 11 goals in 25 games, helping win the NCAA championship in 2022. It's a pretty impressive resume for a guy whose first love was not soccer. Actually, I started off playing basketball when I was around like four, four to eight. I was playing basketball and I got transferred to a French immersion school and everyone there only played soccer, so I was kind of forced into playing soccer, and I did quite well my first couple times playing, and they're like, oh, you should try out for our team. So I tried out for like the rep team in the area and made the team surprisingly, and just started from there. Johnson has the speed and athleticism to complement his finishing skills, qualities the Whitecaps MLS squad could use. Johnson has seen players like Simon Betcher and Ali Ahmed make the jump to the big team very quickly and is hoping he can join them in the near future. Seeing guys like Ali and Simon progress up to the first team definitely gives you that extra motivation. So if you keep your head down, work hard, hopefully that can be like some of the guys on the second team next year. And also the, with the coaching, you know, they always come out to support us and watch our games um, at home when we, when we play at home and even away sometimes. So it's amazing to see, you know, we feel like we have that, really have that support behind us. Levante Johnson there at the back door. All right, Stanley Cup playoffs, Game 7, Panthers and Bruins. Boston's record-setting regular season on the line. Second period, Panthers already up a goal. It's West Van Sam Reinhart ripping it top shelf on Jeremy Swayman, who got the start ahead of the struggling Linus Olmark. 2-0 Florida, Bruins and their fans in shock. But Boston came back. They cut it to 2-1, then early third. Dmitry Orlov's slapper tipped in by Tyler Bertuzzi, who's been a great pickup from Detroit. 2-2, and then four minutes later, a horrible rebound by Sergei Bobrovsky right to David Pasternak, the 60-goal man, makes it 3-2 Boston. It looked like the Bruins were going to pull it off, but with a minute to go and the goalie out, it's Brandon Montour who's having a great season. His second goal of the game ties it at three, and that's where they stand in overtime. A lot of nervous people in Boston watching that right now. Speaking of uh, tight hockey games, Kamloops Blazers and Seattle Thunderbirds very late in the third, tied at three in game two. Seattle won the opener last night 5-1. If Kamloops can even things up, that would be great. Game three is in Kamloops on Tuesday. World U18 Championship from Switzerland. Canada and Slovakia playing for bronze. 16-year-old Macklin Celebrini of Vancouver opened.
for Canada. What a shot. He's not eligible until the 2024 NHL draft, but he could be the top pick if he keeps this up. But late third, Canada down 3-2, goalie pulled, and it's Nanaimo's Matthew Wood who sends this game to overtime, ties it up with a minute 11 to go, and then in overtime, Macklin Celebrini one more time. Check out this move on the goalie by Celebrini. Beautiful fake, and Deke and Canada takes the bronze 4-3 the final over Slovakia. The USA beat the Swedes 3-2 in overtime to win the gold medal. NBA playoffs just one game seven in the first round. State and Sacramento Kings led at the half but then Golden State's top players took over. Clay Thompson hits the three and draws the foul for a four point play. Gave the Warriors a 10 point lead. Steph Curry as you may expect was unstoppable. Works the quick give and go on the inbounds play. Nails the three and then Curry will put this one to bed late with the driving layup. Curry had 50 points in this one, Warriors take it 120 to 100, and they will now meet LeBron and the Lakers in the next round in the Western Conference. Earlier in the East, Knicks and Heat opening up the second round at Madison Square Garden. Spike Lee, big Knicks fan. Heat upset number one seed Milwaukee in the first round. Canada's R.J. Barrett led the Knicks with 26 today, including that floater. They are down just five, but it's the former Raptor Kyle Lowry chipped in with nine points, including that tough jumper there. And the Heat take game one on the road, 108-101 over the Knicks. Baseball today, Jays looking for a sweep of the Mariners, which would run their win streak to seven. They fell behind four, but they roar back. Bo Bichette absolutely crushes the Marco Gonzalez changeup. That's into the upper deck, 460 feet, three-run homer. Jays led 5-4. They'd build an 8-4 lead, but the Mariners clawed their way back. Bottom of the ninth, down 8-7, down to their final strike. But J.P. Crawford lines a base hit off Yumi Garcia to tie it up 8-8. And then in extras, Seattle's going to win it. Cal Raleigh going deep for the second time. His second two-run homer. It comes off the Canadian Zach Pop, and the Mariners snap the Blue Jays' six-game win streak, 10-8 the final. Toronto at 18-10 and 10 now begin a series at Fenway in Boston tomorrow. English Premiership, Erling Holland and Manchester City at Fulham. Holland from the penalty spot knocks in his 34th EPL goal and 50th in all competitions this season. Fulham equalized, but then Julian Alvarez with a brilliant strike bends it in from about 25 yards out. Man City win 2-1, and they jump past Arsenal into first place, a point ahead and with a game in hand. Meanwhile, Marcus Rashford and Manchester United taking on Aston Villa, who've had a great season, currently seventh. 35th minute, Rashford on the attack. He stopped, but a large rebound finished by Bruno Fernandes. Man United win at 1-0. They are still fourth, just two points behind third place Newcastle. Formula One, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc starting from the pole was the same story for yesterday's sprint race, which was won by Red Bull's Sergio Perez. Ferrari just can't compete with the straightaway speed of Red Bull. Max Verstappen blowing past Leclerc. From there, it was basically Verstappen and Perez going head-to-head. -head. Verstappen leading when Nick DeVries brought out the safety car. Verstappen pitting under that yellow. Perez ends up grabbing the lead, and he would never look back. Won the sprint race yesterday, takes the check flag today. Verstappen was second, Leclerc third. 
Fernando Alonso fourth, Montreal's Lance Stroll seventh. So Verstappen's lead over Perez in the overall standings down to single digits. Next race is in Miami. And final round of the Mexico Open from Puerto Vallarta, world number one. John Rahm won this tournament last year, was second heading into the final round today after that course record 10 under 61 yesterday. Short par four seventh. Just the driving club required here. Drives the green, made a two-putt birdie. Rom post 21 under, which was better than his winning score last year. But there was no stopping Tony Finau. Had a two-shot lead when the day began. Birdie putt here at 11, a bogey-free 5-under 66. Finau wins the Mexico Open, beating his good friend John Rom by three shots. Finau finishing at 24-under. I like how you said that. Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. Yes. Nicely done. Mm -hmm, thank Thanks, Barry. <laughs> well, coming up on the news hour, the gift of music, the story of one man who's changing lives through music therapy. Stay with us. Arguably, no one knows how life-changing music can be more than Steve Lindsay. For decades, he's changed the lives of children, many of them on the autism spectrum, through the gift of music. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. From budding little rock stars to the backbone of every future band, Steve Lindsay has been teaching music for the past 40 years and has helped a lot of kids master some musical skills. Am I supposed to be doing this all day? I'm 61 years old. I play drums 40 hours a week, and you go, well, well, everybody keeps on coming back. Nice work, bro. But there's so much more to these lessons for many people. Autistic children and others experiencing anxiety or ADHD are just some of his students that are benefiting from a little music therapy. The way he speaks, the way he talks, um, he's not afraid to ask a question or come forward or to do something. The improvements were profound. You could notice it even within a couple of months. He started smiling, making more eye contact, engaging more. Seven years ago, Lindsay co-founded the Rock for Autism event that's giving his students a chance to showcase their talent in front of a live audience. How about the reaction from the crowd? What does that feel like? Oh, it makes me smile and smile. Lindsay's life in music has seen him take the stage and share his experience in the studio, and it's helped a lot of children build some confidence along the way. Start over again. That's excellent. One more time. Go ahead. The reason we're here is, is not so much about Music is a bit different. It's more about helping kids grow and learn because they're smart. They're really smart. The most important thing is if I help one, I did something what counted. Jay Durant, Global News. Yeah. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at and Barry, you uh, want to give a quick update mm -hmm. on the Bruins-Panthers game. Yes, the Bruins are out. Rim shot. Hard to believe. They, they set a record for most wins during the regular season, but it means nothing. Florida got in in the playoffs, I think, uh, second last day. Boston clinched in, like, October, and uh, they're out. They lost in oh. overtime. So it's Florida and Toronto in the next round. So oh all these President's Cup teams that win... Uh, the regular season, it seems like it's almost a curse. The Canucks did that in 2011. You know, they won, yeah. they, mm -hmm. they did it, and they lost out as well, as we know. So there you go. And Yvonne, real quick. Uh, for tomorrow, <laughs> just a few isolated showers, and then we're rebounding back into some sunshine, hot and sunny for Tuesday, Wednesday. All right, thank you so much, and thank you for being with us. Have a great night.